Let us open our Bibles to Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moistures turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place, Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt come pass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and brittle lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Based on that passage, and of course many more, in God's word we have the instruction of the Heidelberg in Lord's Day 23. Lord's Day 23, we have three questions and answers. Question 59, but what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? Answer, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. Question 60, how art thou righteous before God? Answer, only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. So that though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding, God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me 
the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Even so, as if I had never had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, insomuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Question 61. Why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith alone? Answer, not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. Loved in our Lord Jesus Christ, could there be any more greater treasure or precious gift given to guilty sinners than the gift of saving faith? As we read in Ephesians chapter 2, by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. So let us this morning then pray that prayer, Lord, increase my faith. Lord's Day 23 is really the climax of the expression of the Reformed faith. For that was what the Reformation was really all about. Not by works that the sinner does, but only by faith, receiving what Christ has done. Boys and girls, do you remember history, church history? Poor Martin Luther, trying to follow the church's prescribed way of being saved, he would fast for days, or on other times he would stand almost naked in the cold, or he would make pilgrimages to holy places. He tried to perform works, but no, no, there was no easing of the guilt of his conscience for his sins. But then Martin Luther, opening up God's word, read from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and following, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is not something Martin Luther could do by his own works, no matter how many he did. But peace with God by faith by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then verse 11 from Romans 5, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. 
the covering over of our sin, the ransom paid so that we are delivered from sin. It brings us peace. It brings us hope. It brings us joy. Yes, when the scriptures are opened up like it was to Martin Luther, then these precious truths are rediscovered and claimed by faith. By faith, not works. Saved by grace alone, only by Christ's merits. And so the instructor asks this question, what is the profit? What is the benefit of this faith? That faith that was just expressed and we went through briefly in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit who gathers the church, who causes us to know our forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. What is the benefit of that faith that we confess? In other words, let me put it this way for each one of us. What does this faith mean to you, to me? What a direct question. It causes us to reflect. We must not only have faith, but it must mean something to us. It must be our strength. It must be to us a treasure. You see, there are many who have this faith, that is, this intellectual knowledge, but it means nothing. What good is it? What benefit is it to them? Nothing at all. They don't know the joy and the happiness and the peace, nor the power of faith. What benefit that you know all this, that it means the 12 articles of the Christian creed, the Apostles' Creed. Satan might come and ask us, what benefit does it do you to have faith? But now it's our godly instructor who asks this question. Faith does not guarantee success here in the world but it brings blessing, doesn't it? Isn't that the way the psalm starts? King David, after his terrible sins that he hid from as many people as he could by having Uriah killed, but his conscience pricked. He had no peace at all. And listen to David as he says then, blessed is he who is has his transgressions forgiven, whose sins are covered, not by ourselves, but are covered by our God in Christ Jesus. Blessings. Those blessings cannot be counted in dollar bills. Our billfolds don't become any fatter through this blessing, through faith. In fact, it's not cheap to be a believer. There's no bargain bins to dig through. Whoever says faith, 
also has to say sacrifice. What is the blessing that we are righteous in Christ before God? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Not just some long away future is that sin removed and forgiven, but the benefit, beloved, is right now when the gospel exposes this faith that whereby we have the knowledge that we are righteous in Christ Jesus. The blessedness of knowing we're a child of God. Knowing that we have been made friends of God. The thankfulness that we are judged by God and not by men. It doesn't matter what others think about us. They might have a lot of negative things to think about us. But what does God think about us? So notice with me then the benefit of being right with God. Notice first of all that we stand before God. Second of all that we are righteous in Christ Jesus. And thirdly it is by faith alone. Standing before God. Yes, all people, all people and even all the angels and devils must stand before God and be judged on the judgment day. But not only are they judged on the judgment day, they are judged every day by their works. We stand before God that is an expression that is found often in the scriptures and in the catechism. And so we have that phrase both in question 59 and also in the answer of question 60. We stand before God. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Stand before God and to be right with God. It's rather easy to be right with people. People don't demand as much and you can really fool them. You could put on a nice exterior and they say, what a fine Christian. But it is impossible by nature for us to be right with God. He is holy and righteous and we are vile and sin. Before God in myself I am nothing but evil and guilty. That truth has to be confessed before understanding the truth of justification. Your and my consciences accuse us. Yes, the law of God teaches us, but every person has a conscience. And the conscience of the wicked even shows itself. Why is it that the atheists go as at such pains to deny God 
and want to desire that no one else confess God because they know their conscience says there is a God who reigns, who is a righteous God and who will punish sin. That truth that I am a sinner must be confessed. And that's the test of true faith, isn't it? The conscience of the believer is accurate just like the needle on the compass. And we read that on the last day the books will be opened. Those are the consciences of the angels and devils and God's people and also the wicked. The conscience opened. That conscience that is instructed through Scripture That conscience that knows things not vaguely, but rather three accusations. In the conscience, we know that we have grievously sinned against all of God's commandments. God is not some kind of one who kind of looks over the minor sins, and neither may you and I do that. We may not be nonchalant about those sins, saying, well, those small matters don't matter. What everyone else is doing it also. No, the conscience speaks, and therefore we need to confess details. Specific sins named one by one by one and laid before the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you and I this morning, having heard the law, confess, I have transgressed all of God's commandments, and I have transgressed them grossly. I did those things that God forbids of me, and I'm guilty. And second of all, we're accused of a total lack of obedience I have kept none of them so we're not only bothered by the sins that we have committed during the day but also those things that we did not do and we should have done that is the sins of omission God says love me with all your heart soul mind and strength have I Loved him with all my being, or have I loved myself and my position or the world? God says, have a zeal for my kingdom. And isn't my zeal lacking at times, falling short of what it should be? I have grievously sinned against God's commandments, and there's a lack of wholesale obedience of what God commands, and even worse, our confession is, and I am still inclined to all evil. That is, we find the germs for all these sins in our own flesh, and so we need to come and confess to God, but also to ourselves, I am a sinner. 
so often proud and I should be humble, often blaspheming instead of honoring God with my lips and my life. I, I only by the grace of God do not walk in every imaginable sin possible. We need to say that when we see others around us falling into some sins in, the, in their lives and we say, oh, did you hear? Did you know what they're doing? Only, only by the grace of God have I not walked there myself. In other words, we recognize that we're not somehow better than other folks, but rather we are like that publican who went up to God's house, didn't dare to look up into the heavens. God, be merciful to me, the sinner, the sinner. Yes, it is this truth of our depravity and our unholiness that must be understood by God's people. Listen a moment to Paul's explanation, or I should say really the Holy Spirit's explanation. Romans chapter 3, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, shall, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Sinners, how can I, after that description of every one of us, was laid before us, how can you and I stand before the holy and righteous God, the judge? And the answer is not by ourselves. How could Israel in the Old Testament, when they came to the land of Canaan, and from one mountain the blessings of the law were read, and the other mount the curses of the law were read, and God's people said amen to both of them. How could they do that? Not in themselves. But they could take those curses of the law as well as the blessings of the law because of the sacrifices that were made by the priest, the blood that was shed that points forward forward to the only Savior. And how can you and I stand underneath the law when it is read every Sunday morning in our hearing? It's only as we stand there in Christ Jesus who took those sins on himself. So first of all then we stand before God and not in ourselves 
but only in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are righteous in Christ. Did you notice that in the catechism when he lists our sins? That word notwithstanding in answer 60. How art thou righteous before God only by a true faith in Jesus Christ so that though my conscience accuse me that I've grossly transgressed all the commandments of God, kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, ooh, notwithstanding, even though that's all true, God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Romans 3, verse 21, we read there, but now, after he's listed all these terrible sins, that no flesh is justified before God by his own works, but now the righteousness of God without the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Martin Luther was scared of the righteousness of God. He tried to do everything to somehow appease God, to be right in God's eyes. He was scared of it until he came to the truth not only do we stand before a righteous God, but that righteous God imparts his righteousness to us vile sinners. And it's ours, Romans 3, verse 22, by faith in Christ Jesus. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested unto all and upon all them that believe. Do you believe the gospel that sets forth the righteousness of God that is given to his own? Justification, boys and girls, is the truth that another's righteousness becomes ours. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is handed to us. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Liberty can be taken away from us. Health can be ripped away from us. Loved ones can be ripped away from us. But not this. Righteousness that God gives to us 
so that we are righteous rather than damnable. By nature, we were ripe for hell. But God declares, God speaks righteousness. He's the judge. He looks at us. And as he looks at us as we are in Christ Jesus, he finds nothing against you or me. It is God the judge who says, righteous, innocent, lily white. All those things based upon the verdict of the judge of all the earth. Oh, how can God do that? Doesn't he see our sins grossly transgressed, not completely obeyed him? Sinful thoughts within us, desires. How is there this complete acquittal, righteous, innocent? There was different answers to that. How are we acquitted at the judgment seat? And the Rome said, the Roman Catholic Church said, well, Because Christ died and Christ now lives in us and Christ enables us to do good things, righteous things, and on the basis of those good things that we are now doing, God says, innocent, I see no sin. The Arminian says, well, I can't keep any of the laws of God. I just can't do it. But God gives me another work to do. Instead of doing good works, I produce faith. I believe. I accept Jesus. And therefore, on the basis of my faith, that work, I'm saved. That is not the truth at all. Not by our works, whether it be faith that we exercise or good works that we do through Christ living in us. But rather God looks at what his son has done for us, our representative. For just as Adam was the head of the whole human race and by his sin he plunged the whole human race into sin. Christ Jesus as the head of his church by his righteousness, by his obedience, by his satisfaction saves all those who believe in him. How beautifully we read then in Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. That word imputeth, it means does not lay to our charge that sin. Why didn't God in Psalm 32 in David's life, why didn't God lay to charge of David his sins? Adultery, murder. And he did first, he convicts David. Thou art the man, said Nathan. That's the word of God. You've sinned. You've done these things. It's not some other guy who took someone's little sheep. You did it, David. But now God says to David, 
those sins, I'm not going to hold against you because I have imputed, I have laid those sins that were yours and I laid it upon Jesus Christ in your place. He was made the guilty one. That beautiful passage. God laid on him our iniquity. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that the righteousness of God might be ours, given to us. Boys and girls, can you see that almost in your minds? Let's say you've been on the farm, you've been taking care of the pigs or the cattle, your clothes are filthy, it was muddy out there, and you come into the house with that dirty clothes and mom says, ah, 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 it's got to come off. Our filthy rags of sin were stripped off from us and were put upon Jesus Christ when he came into this world. All of his life he wore that. That's the way he looked to God, and especially there on the cross. And while our sins were laid upon, clothed upon Christ, his righteousness, his dazzling white garment is put upon us. Oh, we were washed. Not only were our wicked deeds taken away from us, but we were washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, just like boys and girls. You take a bath on Saturday night, you're nice and clean, you're ready for church on Sunday, so also we are washed from all of our sins and not left naked, but we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. That is in Christ Jesus. Apart from Jesus, you and I are damn worthy. We deserve in hell. But, chosen by God in Christ Jesus, Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes unto the Father but by him. By faith united to Christ Jesus. That means inseparably put together, just like a wife and a husband are put together and are made one new whole in marriage. So you and I, the church, are united to Christ Jesus. So that what is Christ is ours. What is his is now ours. Complete acquittal. God grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction of Christ. As if I had never sinned. Boys and girls, you probably learned that definition of justification in school. Justification. Just as if I had never sinned. And let me add to that. Just as if I had never sinned and just as if I had obeyed all of God's laws perfectly. How does that happen? Because I'm better than others? Does God take away my sins and give me Christ's righteousness because you and I are by ourselves better than the world? And the answer is no. 
not of our own merits. We don't deserve it. Not one of us. But by grace alone, he justifies you and I who are ungodly. Our justification was planned by God in eternity. He saw us in Christ Jesus and he gave us to Christ Jesus. That justification was accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ by his death and by his resurrection. Again, let me read from Romans, now chapter 4, verses 24 and 25, but for us also to whom it should be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again, for our justification. How can you and I know that our sins are truly forgiven, blotted out, that God declares us righteous? Look at Easter morning. Did Jesus cover all of our sins? Because if he didn't, God would not raise him from the dead. But God did raise him from the dead. All the sins of all of God's elect people have been paid for, have been blotted out of God's book. And not one sin remains against us. So that justification that is planned by God in eternity is carried out in time by his sacrifice on the cross. And we're not done now yet. Christ Jesus now sends his Holy Spirit in the world and you boys and girls in essentials, remember the Ordo Salutis, where it is the Holy Spirit now who applies this wonderful knowledge to us. So that when our conscience accuses us, odd oh, you did that again, and you weren't going to. The Spirit says, but you are forgiven. Jesus paid for that. That sin was carried away from you. You are righteous in Christ Jesus. What are the implications, beloved, of this beautiful truth? Do we understand the implications? Number one, God who is justly angry with sin and must punish the sinner is satisfied with the work of Jesus Christ. That's called satisfaction. His justice is satisfied. Sin was paid for. It was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. He laid down his life. He took that punishment. He atoned for your and my crimes. But notice, our salvation is not merely that the punishment has been taken away and is paid for by Jesus, but there's something more. Something is given to us. The obedience of Jesus in his whole life. As he set his face to go to Jerusalem, he was obedient, we read, even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. That obedience is put upon us. Or to go back to that analogy I used earlier, our filthy rags are taken off from us, great. 
but we're not left naked. We are clothed with Christ's garment, a dazzling white garment of righteousness. It is as if Psalm 40, where Jesus says there, I have come to do thy will, O God, are now our words. As if we had perfectly obeyed God all of our life. Not only that. Not only is the punishment of sin taken care of, satisfied. Not only is obedience given to me, but the holiness of Christ is imputed to us. You and I who are still inclined to all kinds of evil, how does Christ, how does God see his church holy? Boys and girls, think a moment of many of the epistles of Paul. How do they begin? To the saints of God in Ephesus. To the saints of God in Thessalonica. Holy. The holiness of Christ. God looks at us as if I or you all of our life had been pure and holy and willing even as his dear son. And that's why we're able to say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe a holy Catholic church. Made holy, sanctified by Christ Jesus. Applied by the Holy Spirit. And what is the fruit of that, beloved? What is the fruit of that? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 and 11. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What is the fruit of justification? Peace with God. Luther didn't have that peace until he was reading God's word and the word of God declares to him righteousness and therefore we don't have to be afraid of God. We have peace. He's not against us. He was completely satisfied with what his son has done. We have peace with God and then we have joy, he says, and we rejoice we rejoice. You and I should be the happiest people on the earth. Not running around with long faces because of our awful sins. Yes, they are there, but they're forgiven. And our identity is in Christ Jesus. We are God's children, redeemed without sin. And therefore, also, we read in Romans 5, verse 1 and 2, there's hope. There's the hope that God is not only with us in this world, for us, but the life that we have in Christ is an ongoing life, life eternal. Nothing, nothing is able to separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. Nothing in this world and not even death itself. That means, beloved, that you and I don't have to be afraid to die. Whether I get in a car accident later on today, whether I have a heart attack later on, I'm not afraid. 
For the child of God knows that in God's sight we are loved, we are cared for, we are without sin. And when we die, he's going to say to us, come home, son, daughter. Come home, enter into the joy of your master. Come live with me forever and ever. In the intermediate state, our souls. But when Jesus comes again, body and soul, we're going to live with Christ in heaven in the new heavens and the new earth. It means that we are accepted to by, to, by God. And so when you and I come to God in our prayers, it is not the thought, oh, I hope God hears me. It is not the thought, well, my, my prayers go up, but maybe they hit the ceiling and they come right down again. But when my prayers come to God in the name of Jesus Christ, they ascend into heaven like that incense in the temple, sw smelling sweet. And God will give us that which we need for body and for soul. I'm a child of God. I'm loved, I'm cared for, I'm protected by him. And that's not only the way that we're able to see ourselves, but that's also the way that we need to see one another. It's so easy for us to concentrate upon the warts and everything else that others have. But rather than concentrating on those things, their sins that they have done or are doing, we need to see one another as those in need of salvation in Jesus Christ and by faith, clinging to Christ Jesus. And I'm jumping ahead there. That's the next point. We are righteous. We are children of God. Still inclined to evil yet in this world, but that sin is blotted out and therefore an heir of eternal life. Notice, beloved, this is, and then third point, by faith only. It is faith that causes you and I, who are of ourselves godless, to be righteous. Those who are guilty and therefore worthy of death, saints. Those who would be condemned by the law are perfectly set free righteous, holy, nothing lacking in us because the perfection of Christ is transferred to us. It's all for the sake of Christ by faith. What that means is, question and answer 60, I embrace that benefit. I, knowing that truth and am assured by that truth. That's what faith is, right? A knowledge of what God reveals in his word and then the assurance that comes with it. Christ is my Savior and I have been united with him and therefore I'm saved. No other way than by faith only, question and answer 61. What does that mean? I am saved, I am declared righteous, not because of my faith, but by faith. That is, through faith. Faith is a prerequisite. 
a true faith where we, ha where we hold for truth all that God has revealed in his word. That's where justification is proclaimed and then the assurance that comes with it. Faith. Now I need to distinguish against what the Arminian teaches. Not because of faith. Faith is not my work. Too many, I have said, too many see faith as an alternate work. You can't do obey the law, so God says, well, instead of obeying the law, just if only you are willing to open your heart and believe. I'm not saved by my works. I'm not saved because I believe. But rather, I am saved by Christ alone, whom I by faith am embraced to. I receive that which he gives to me by grace. So that what is in the gospel that we are saved by Christ Jesus through faith takes hold of me or I take hold of that truth and I hold it dearly. I know it, and am assured by it. Faith is given to us, isn't it? That's what Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 is. A gift of God. So not an alternate work, but rather God's gift. That he works in me by the gospel which he strengthens in us by the gospel and the sacraments. And may we pray then, Lord, increase that faith. Many times Jesus would say to his disciples, O ye of little faith, why can't you be like that Gentile? That Gentile who says, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Oh, that our faith might not be like little faith, but rather increased, made stronger, made stronger by our reading God's word, the Holy Spirit, taking that word and sowing it in our hearts. And we say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. How are we saved God chose us in eternity. He chose us unto faith. God purchased us by the blood of Jesus Christ. God operates on us by the Holy Spirit so that we are given new hearts. We're given that seed of faith, the desire, the ability to believe. We are justified by the word of God in Scripture declaring that righteousness to us. And through this whole life, believing that, we will not be surprised, we will not be shocked when at the judgment day, God says, I see no evil in thee because Christ has taken it away. 
righteous and rewarded by grace for our lives lived for him. Faith is that necessary, that indispensable gift whereby I take what God has done in Christ Jesus and apply it to myself. If I can make that clearer by an example, boys and girls, you've learned about King Hezekiah at one time. The enemy was coming against Jerusalem, and so he took the wells of water that were outside of Jerusalem, and he dug a tunnel, didn't he? He dug a tunnel whereby those waters were ushered into Jerusalem so the enemy didn't have it, but God's people had that water when they were surrounded. So also the Holy Spirit takes what is Christ's, and he channels it to us. And the channel is faith. Faith which recognizes our own unworthiness and Christ's sufficiency. And so those who, of us who have that faith, we don't become proud of ourselves, this is what I did, but we're filled with humility. That God would do this for us in Christ Jesus. We're filled with trust. We're filled with thankfulness. And we love the gospel. We love the gospel that declares to us that our sins are forgiven, not imputed to us, accepted in Christ Jesus. So let me ask a question again. Is faith profitable? Is your faith a precious gift to you? And the answer, hopefully, for each of us is yes, absolutely yes. I have peace with God. I have the hope of eternal life. And I have joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have received atonement, ransomed, made his own. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the precious gospel that we may open up. That gospel that we may hear with our ears and believe with the heart. That though we are sinful, inclined to all sin, yet those sins are blotted out and we are declared innocent and righteous by thy grace in Christ Jesus received by our faith. Increase that faith, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.